You know, one of the things I love about being on the journey are the people. It's you and your life. And the way that God takes your life and he, he kind of blends it together with our life. And he makes such a unique blend. And sometimes I, I see your servant heart. You know, some of you have such a, an amazing, amazing heart to serve God and to serve this place. And I go back and I just, you know, if I fail to say it to you publicly, just forgive me, but know that I say it all week long to God. Thank God for each one of you and for your faithfulness to spread the word. I, uh, I love when I get emails that uh, talk about that very thing. And I got one this week that I had to share with you. It comes from uh, uh, Jim Rogan. And if you know Jim, Jim is a Superior Court judge and former congressman and has that unique distinction of being the lead prosecutor on the Clinton impeachment. So I say all that to say, when you hear this email, I think you're going to appreciate his servant heart. He, uh, he's a man who, who loves us, who loves his church, and loves his family, loves God. Here's what he said. His wife, his name is Chris, and Chris, he said, is spending the next few weeks working in children's ministry over at the school. So I've been a, a solo in church for a couple of Sundays. A week ago, she asked me to come and play King David and to do a press conference about what it was like to be a king, a warrior, and a shepherd for her fourth and fifth grade Sunday school class. So I showed up wearing a crown, carrying a scepter, and my mind just immediately goes to that image because I can just see Jim doing this. All of the kids had their questions written in advance, and I had seen them earlier, so I knew what to expect. When I answered all their questions, this one kid who Chris told me wants to be a pastor and raised his hand and said, So, King David, may I ask you a question that isn't written down? Sure, son, what is it? The kid leaned forward and gave me a suspicious look. If you're really King David, then what's the name of your second son? Blanking on David's lineage. I looked up to Chris for help, and all I got was a shoulder shrug. I straightened up. I looked the kid straight in the eye, and I told him his name is Chubby. <laughs> ha! The kid cried out. His name was Absalom. Without missing a beat, I said, oh, you wanted to know his biblical name. <laughs> I thought you wanted to know what we called him around the house. At house, we just call, around the house, we just call him Chubby. Now, that kid might be a pastor, but he neglected to consider, I used to be a politician. <laughs> Isn't that a great story? And what I love about it is, you know, it's, uh, you know when we're isolated on all, all these different campuses that are going on, you know, we don't get to, to kind of rub shoulders with everybody over at the Hillsboro Private School where we have... You know, where we have our children's ministry, and so we have adults over there and kids, and, and that was one dimension we really kind of miss in this whole process of being here and being a, uh, across the way at Cinema City and, and various places. But, uh, but God is doing something really good, and he's taking people like Jim, he's taking people like you, and he's using your willingness to serve, your willingness to invite, your willingness to pray. And I was thinking about, as Tammy mentioned, the, the prayer team that comes early and, and sits in the theater and prays for you and prays for us and prays for those needs that you bring. What a great network of people that we have. And if you've ever been in a part of that prayer group and just walked in for a few minutes, you know that they're serious. They're really serious about touching God. 
In the book of Exodus chapter 25, we have a, a passage where God begins to introduce them now to this next dimension of the journey. He's going to call them to build a place of worship. But it's going to be temporary. It's called a tabernacle. It's really a tent. They pick it up, they roll it up, and they move on in the journey for the next 40 years. Whenever I go back and I'm reminded of this, I think, oh, please, God, do not let us roll up, pack up for 40 years. You know, and some of you are saying, and yes, and don't let him preach on Exodus for 40 years either. But look what it says, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. God is a speaking God. The God who spoke to Moses is the God who speaks to you. He speaks with clarity. He speaks with power. Sometimes we have all kinds of veneer that gets in the way of hearing the voice of God, but God spoke to Moses. God speaks to us today. He said to Moses, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly, from his heart you shall take an offering. And the amazing thing is what God says to bring. You look at this list and you think, if you came this Sunday with this stuff, I don't know what we'd do with it. But everything was matched up to what they needed at the time. This is the offering you shall bring from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Really interesting, those three metals come together often in Scripture. They're all pointing to the divine nature of God and what God is about. And then blue, purple, and scarlet thread, those three are also woven together. You'll see a, a repeating of a trilogy of things throughout Scripture because God is a divine God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who created you body, soul, and spirit who made this world that we can live in and understand with past, present, and future and gave us three primary colors to color our universe. Here's a divine nature woven into the very Word of God that we cannot miss. And then bring linen and goat's hair Ram skins, dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing and for the sweet incense. And there was, a, there was an anointing oil that was made whose formula was not to be shared and not to be used outside of the worship of God, just as there is an anointing of the Spirit of God that comes on us that is only meant for God. That God wants to do something unusual in your life and in my life by His Spirit. He can do it when we are, we are really just laid bare before Him and say, God, I unconditionally surrender me to You. I need You to use me and I need You to be powerful in me. Bring the onyx stones, he said, and the stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate. And of course, there was this two-part robe that they wore and then a breastplate that, have a, that had a, a stone for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, all representing there before God in this act of worship. And let them make me a sanctuary. And I read that and I thought, you know, God, I didn't know where we would be in the, in the whole process of of, of Influence Church seven months ago when we began the series in the book of Exodus. And how unusual it is that you just happened to, by the Holy Spirit, arrange the day and the time for this very thing. Make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. See, that's always been the heart of God. I want to I be in your midst. I want to dwell among you. I want you to know my presence and I want you to know my power. He said, according to all that I show you, that is a pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the furnishings, just 
so you make it. God said, I have a divine design for you, and I will reveal it as time goes on. I'm going to give you a glimpse of what I'm up to. You're not going to know it way in advance. You're going to know it as I give it to you. Let me give you a wilderness report, and so you kind of stay up to date with where we are. Here's the first thought that may be new to you. You can be in the middle of a miracle and not know it. I think we're going to make some shirts. People are wanting shirts. (laughs) And you can be. If you look at the biblical characters, they never knew when they were in the middle of a miracle. They only knew when they looked back or they, they, they realized something has happened here. It is a miracle of God. Second one is this one. How you respond in the wilderness is the key to your future success. See, it's all about reaction. It's about how we live in the Spirit, move in the Spirit, and how we allow the fruit of the Spirit to be evident in our life. God's not looking for human reaction. He's looking for divine reaction. He's looking for empowerment that comes from Him about His presence. And then God uses the littlest things to bring you to Him. It's always amazing to me how how I'll go through life, and I think this is God's divine design for me. He'll take me along, and I think one thing's going to happen, and then He'll drop the bottom out, and then all of a sudden He'll just encourage me in the next five minutes. And I go, God, can we just take the lows out of this relationship? Could we just kind of get it up here, you know, and, and maybe up here and maybe up here? But life is like that, is it not? Life is, as long as we're human, life is going to be one of those challenges where we walk in the Spirit, and yet we find ourselves always, always in this, in this high-pressure zone of trying to, to make our Christianity work in the environment we find ourselves in. Trying to live in the Spirit and move in the Spirit in such a way that we're not just Christians going through motions. We're, we're divine creatures of God who happen to be clothed in human flesh for a little while as God prepares us for our eternal destiny with Him. God points out here that we need to have this willing heart. A willing heart. And sometimes we just need to stop and break that word apart and say, it's all about your will to love and serve God. He spoke to him. Does God still speak to man? I get people asking that all the time, and and I know what they mean. Do they hear an audible voice? I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but, but I want you to know God speaks by his word. You ever been reading the word of God, and all of a sudden it's like God says, that's for you? That's for you, and it's different. It's different than just reading along. It's like God stop, puts you on pause for a minute, stops you, and says, that's for you. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, the word says, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. I want you to see the the two things that God puts together there. He says, when the word of God is not active and alive in your life, you're going to see a limited amount of the revelation of God and understanding of God. God's not going to open up great understanding to you if you're not in the word of God. But when you begin to study the Word of God and read the Word of God, I mean, this should be a prayer. God, I want the Word of God to be strong, not rare. I want it to be familiar in my life, and I want you to reveal yourself to me. I want truth to come to me, God. And then sometimes God speaks by events, people, thoughts, and impressions. You know, there is something about this uh, unusual presence of the Holy Spirit that we all desire. 
And I live my life just longing for more of the Spirit of God in my life. Longing for more of His revelation. Longing to to touch Him and to feel Him and to understand Him and to pray. And, And I have to admit, I am greedy for God. I want God more than I want anything else in my life to be strong in me. You see, God's presence comes as we immerse ourselves in His worship. You know, the songs that the band leads us in, they're not just to kind of get us to the sermon. They're not even to prepare for the sermon. They're to call us into worship of this divine God. And to just kind of break away from our inhibitions and break away from the stuff that, keep, that has built up in our life and say, God, I need to just strip myself bare and worship the Almighty God in spirit and in truth. God speaks through events. I'm going to talk about some of those in a minute, but what about audibly? The audible voice of God. I've only known a couple of people in my life who've actually said they heard the audible voice of God. I had no reason to doubt them. I've never heard God speak to me in an audible voice. He seems to speak in that voice that seems even louder in my heart. When all the chambers of my being vibrate with the power of God, and sometimes he, He's saying to me, Phil, that's stupid. <laughs> you ever had God say that to you? He kind of That's kind of a regular dialogue we have. I'll go, God, and I'm just kind of going, whatever. And he goes, Phil, that's stupid. Now stop. Recorrect. Go back. Think about this. But I do love this scripture in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21. Listen to what he says. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying. I thought about that for a little while. I thought about what, how do I hear a word from behind me? And it's almost like the presence of God is my rear guard. And I hear God saying, it's okay. I've got your back. I've got your back. Don't you want God to have your back? He says, I'm your shield and your glory and the lifter of your head. I'm in front. Then he says in another place, I'm your your shield all about you. I'm your very present help in time of trouble. I am God. Don't worry. Don't stress. You know, I'm sure many of you watched the presidential debate and you, you're sitting there trying to, to kind of to, to, to rally and, and your guy and you're trying to rally your guy and say, do this, do this, do this. Just remember, the destiny of America, the destiny of the world does not rest in any one man. It rests in Almighty God. God raises up kingdoms and God breaks down kingdoms and sometimes we get the very leaders we deserve. He says, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the right hand or when you turn to the left, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, sometimes I'm going on that path and I don't hear the voice of God until I turn right or left and he's affirming or he's denying what I need to do. We have to live in the presence of God to where God, there's a God consciousness and a God awareness of us, about us wherever we go. Our faith must be active. You see, anything that's not active is passive. Stepping out, trusting God is the way that God designed faith to work. You you can't have faith. Say, I have faith in God. What are you trusting Him for? Well, my salvation, that's already secure. What are you trusting Him for? 
Is God doing what you're trusting him for? That's faith. Have you got out on that, that thin ice, so to speak, in such a way that God has to come through to demonstrate that he's God? It's uncomfortable to walk by faith, but it's the most fulfilling thing in your life. Consider what, what God says. He says in the scripture, bring me an offering. I looked at that and I, I almost with a little bit of humor, I thought, nobody in the wilderness is employed. Did you ever think about that? They're not stopping going to the nine to five, bringing home the paycheck, going, there you go. They're all unemployed, a million of them walking across the desert with no job. God says, bring me an offering. What do you got? You got some gold? Bring that. You got some silver? Bring that. Y'all, you got some badger skin? Go dye it red, bring it in. And I love that. God is just moving them where they are to accomplish God's divine purpose. And he says, then everyone do it. It's not for some. I mean, he goes, oh, well, that's not for me. I don't really like that part of it. You know? When I was uh, first saved, I was really fanatical. And my, uh, my parents weren't Christians at the time. And I had read a little New Testament. I'd read it through four times. This story's a little embarrassing for me, just so you know. It really is, because as I look back, I was pretty young and pretty stupid. Now I'm just stupid. Um, but I got a little New Testament, and, and I'd read it through four times. I'd come to faith in Christ, and I was about two, three months into my salvation, and I went in, and, I, and I, my mom and dad were sitting down there, and I said, do you guys believe the Word of God? And they looked at each other like, he's in a cult. <laughs> and I go, uh, they go, yeah, yeah, we believe the Bible's true. So I turned over, and I read a verse. I said, do you, read that? Do you believe that verse? Well, they didn't even know what that verse said. I said, do you believe that? And they go, well, they're looking at each other like, what to do? And I said, you don't believe it. And I reached in my Bible, and I tore that page out, and I watered up, and I threw it on the You don't believe that one. I turned over. I did about four pages. Well, let me tell you something. I got the colonel's attention. And it was really not the approach that I recommend. (laughs) About eight years later, I got a call from my dad. I was pastoring my first church out of seminary. And he said, I wanted to tell you that we got baptized today. And I said, baptized? Didn't even know you are going to church. We've been going for the last year. We didn't want you to think that we were going because of you. We wanted to go for our own reason. And we found someone who taught the word of God. And we gave our heart to Jesus Christ. And I want you to know we watched you from the first day. And my parents late in life came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I don't think it was because of the method. It was because of the Holy Spirit. Everyone. And then it says, with a willing heart. With a willing heart. I read that scripture last night, and I've set my giving up to where it just comes out uh, every week, and I don't have to think about it because I've already committed to it. And I read that scripture, and I said, I want to go and give another offering, God. I want to make sure my heart's right. Not because I have to. Because I want to. You see, what I think God wants of all of us is unconditional surrender. And I, I'm kind of reminded how many times that I have conditions, and I don't even think they're conditions. I mean, all of us have certain things we want God to do, and sometimes we're just thinking they're just prayer requests, and maybe reality is they're things that, that weren't, they're non-negotiables with God. 
What would happen if you just said unconditionally, I surrender to you, God, today? See, there is this law of the harvest that exists in God's kingdom. My kids were little. I, they wanted to plant a garden. I didn't know much about such things, and so we went in the backyard, and we scratched up a little dirt, and I got some Indian corn and planted it, and the stalks got about six inches high. It was embarrassing. I got one ear. It was about that long. I still have it. I kept it as a reminder never to go into farming. I probably planted 50 seeds. I don't know, something like that, maybe less. Got one little ear. I got that little ear out a couple of years ago, and I started counting the kernels on it. There was over 100 kernels on it. On a good-sized ear, there's 1,000. So that's how bad a farmer I was. But then I realized the law of the harvest worked. God multiplied my efforts, even though it, wasn't, even though it was minimal. You see, you cannot reap unless you sow. You cannot reap unless you sow. You have to sow into the kingdom. And you always will reap what you sow. If I plant corn, I'm going to get corn. If I plant wheat, I'm going to get wheat. You'll always reap later than you sow, and there's always an impatience there. You say, God, I've invested, I've invested, I've sowed, I've sowed, I've sowed. Where are you? God says, don't worry. 40 days to grow a squash, but 40 years to grow an oak. Just be patient. Be patient. You'll always reap more than you sow. That law of the harvest always works in our life. I love this, uh, this quote by Randy uh, Alcorn. He says, giving is a surrender to a greater person with a greater agenda. A greater person and a greater agenda. God has a greater agenda than I do. I need to join him in what he's doing. Also, the details are important. I, I kind of read through this and I thought, God, I don't really, I mean, gold and silver, that's great. And scarlet and red and, you know, and all these different threads and linen and goat's hair and onyx. And God, why do you put this in here? And I realized that God had listed three kingdoms there. He had listed the mineral kingdom, the vegetable kingdom, and the animal kingdom. It kind of caught me off guard, but then I remembered what it said in Revelation that, that when Christ comes back, all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. And I realized God was calling in this worship all these kingdoms that He had created. And all of these kingdoms would contribute to the, to the glory of the eternal kingdom of God. Let everything that has breath and life give Him praise. That's why Jesus, when He rode into Jerusalem, He said, even the stones will rise up if you don't give Me praise. There He was calling on the mineral kingdom. He said, the kingdoms are all Mine. We are to give Him praise and glory. Amen? He is your God and He is your King. Give Him praise. He is the Lord of glory. Give Him praise. He is your strong and mighty tower. Give Him praise. He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. Give Him praise. His word has gone out into all the world. It will not return void. Give Him praise. His message is a message of life and salvation to you and to me. Give Him praise. He calls you by name. Give Him praise. He invites you to sit at His table and eat His food. Give Him praise. He is the Lord of glory. Give Him praise. His eternal kingdom and every detail is important and put just in place at just the right time. Give Him praise. You are important to Him. Give Him praise. Proclaim His majesty and give Him praise and, and, and unconditionally surrender to Him and give Him praise. 
He says, the silver is mine, says the Lord. The gold is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, they all belong to me. The revelation of God is here. It's revealed to us. And we'll see as we go through this journey how that tabernacle was a picture of the coming Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that big tent called the tabernacle was was covered in animal skins? And that inside of it was a place called the Holy of Holy, and the glory of God would come in and dwell among them inside those animal skins? It was a picture of the coming Christ who would come in flesh. The glory would be in Him. That's why He said the Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. He was saying, I am what you saw in the wilderness. I am the revelation of God in the flesh. And if that wasn't enough, God came along and He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, and you're going to have God living His life out in your flesh. You're going to be the temple of the living God. You're going to display His glory and you're going to carry about in your body the dying of the Lord Jesus. The life of the Lord Jesus might be evident in all that you do. Everything points to Christ and His glory and His sacrifice. You see, the cross gives us meaning because the cross says, what's wrong with the world? It's sin. It's not laws and rules and politicians. It's sin. That's what's wrong with our world. It also points to who can solve the problem, Christ and Christ alone. Paul said, far be it from me that I should boast in anything but the cross. In fact, he says at the end of Galatians, he said, I bear in my body the marks that I have suffered for Christ. The scars on his body, the wounds that he inflicted, he said, I did it for Jesus Christ. For Jesus. What have you suffered for Jesus today? Everything points to him. It also reminds us the cross, what I need to do. I need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so as to be saved. You see, no one gets to heaven by going to church. No one gets to heaven by by going through a catechism or going through baptism. No one gets there that way. They only get there through believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you haven't called on his name, call on his name now. He can save you right where you are. The Bible says the narrow gate. Why would he say that? Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. It's a small detail. Why not take the broad gate? That seems to make more sense, God. Most of the people are on the broad road going through the broad gate. No, the details are important to God. Most will not go, but that's the way of salvation. The small detail makes all the difference in eternity. We also understand that, that the making of the sanctuary is our responsibility. When I looked at that scripture, look at it, Exodus 25, 8 and 9. It says, let them make me a sanctuary. God could have made his own. He said, no, you have a responsibility to make me a place of worship. Right now we have Edwards has made us a place of worship. Regal theaters have made us a place of worship. This is a place that we come and we use and God is honored and God allows us to, to be here for this short time. And while we're here, he wants, us to, he wants to build something into us that he can't build in us if, if we had it too fast, if everything was too easy. There's something about struggle, is there not? I mean, I never got any muscles from doing no push-ups. But I'm working on that. It's struggle, it's difficult, it's challenging. 
the small detail. Make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. It's always interesting to see what God shows us, isn't it? Um, I want to tell you a story, and some of this, uh, uh, only a handful of you know it. Uh, others uh, on our building team, they know about this a little bit more. But this is uh, just a portion of the letter. I've kind of shortened it down for us today. But this is a letter we sent in with the offer this week. And there's another little twist that happened um, that I think is really exciting. So we started Influence Church because the creative side of us wanted to expand the way that we do church that would benefit not only the spiritual well-being, but the social and economic dimension of our community. The bridges we are building go way beyond that of most churches. We're highly involved in the city of Anaheim community events and have, in many cases, been given charge over such events. The scope of our involvement has extended to the Jewish Federation and Family Services. I was asked to speak at the Israel Expo 2012, an event that drew more than 8,000 Jewish participants. They have extended invitation uh, for the Israel Expo 2013, believing that we are building wonderful bridges among Jews and Christians. Beyond just a church, I envision an influence center that will include a center of performing arts, which will double as our worship center, two indoor soccer fields that will be open to the city of Anaheim for joint use, and Kimmy's Coffee Cup Restaurant, a destination restaurant rated top three in Orange County. We believe that we have been told that this will be a, we believe and have been told this will be a good addition to the festival center as it will bring hundreds of new people who will shop at the various stores and enjoy a meal with their family and friends. Unlike your typical church that brings only people on Sunday, our Influence Center will be a thriving, active destination for, that will drive people to the festival seven days a week. We are financially stable and have the capacity to fulfill the terms of this contract. We ask you to consider this offer. If accepted, will do much good in the world. Our community needs this kind of facility where people of all backgrounds can feel loved and accepted. Influence Center will be a place where families can enjoy a school play, a community soccer game, develop their spiritual life. We hope to achieve the impossible, and with your help, we can do just that. Thank you for your consideration of this offer. We submit it with humility and expectation. It's really interesting because when I was headed over to sign, by the way, it's the first $5 million contract I've ever signed, um, when I was over on the way over, I got an email saying, hey, it looks like there's been some other offers that have been turned down, whatever. And, and so I thought, you know, I heard that earlier, and I never know what's going on in this world of real estate. I don't know much about it. And so I get over to George and Lisa Haynes, and, and they were both on the phone and active. And, and I said, what's going on? And they said, well, did you see the letter? And I, uh, the amount about some other people had made offers and they'd been turned down. I said, yeah. And I said, I, I just think we should go ahead. We do too, and let me tell you another thing that happened. And so the holding company that, that has this is in Baltimore. And so uh, George remembered that he has a nephew that's in commercial real estate in Baltimore. So he just happened to call him and say, hey, I don't know if you know about this group. And uh, we gave the name of the group. But um, we're, 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 they are involved in this property, and we'd like to, to know if you can help in any way. And he said... And remember, you can be in the middle of a miracle and not know it. <laughs> oh, he didn't say that. <laughs> he said, it's really fortuitous that you called today. Yesterday, I just leased space to that group. I don't know that guy, but I know his boss. And I will hand carry all the documents over to him. Now, I still don't know what's going on, guys. 
But I'm telling you, you tell me that's a coincidence, I want more of them. Amen? I want more coincidences that come from God that encourage our faith. Because that's what I mean. I'm going along, my faith does this, my faith does this. And then I went back to the book of Nehemiah, and I realized, here is Nehemiah. He goes in before the king. The king looks at him and says, why are you depressed, Nehemiah? He said, because my city's in ruin. I want to rebuild the temple. I want to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he says, okay, what's the problem? He said, I need letters. I need letters from the king that give me safe passage. And so the king says, no problem. He gives him kings. Here you go. Here's the letters from the king. And you can go get some timber. You can go get this. You can go get that. And go through it. Go to it. And then he goes. And you think all is well. And all of a sudden, what happens? There are those enemies of the faith that come along. Um, inside and outside. And they're saying, you know, what are you going to do? Are you, what are these feeble Jews going to do? Are they going to build this wall? Nehemiah, listen to that. Then there are those who said, you know, that's the wrong plan. Let's go out here in the plain of Ono and let's, uh, let's kind of figure out some other things. And, and it was, he said, I was warned by the, by the Spirit of God not to go. See, there's always something that wants to strip you of faith. Because there's a way that seems right unto man. It is the way of death. I don't know what God's doing, but whatever God does, he's going to do with faith, and he's not going to do with my ability and my capacity. And the quicker we lay that on the altar of God and say, I give up, God. God, I'm willing to be, I'm willing to be like Hebrews said, those who wandered about in, in, in goat skins and, and lived in caves and were men of whom the world was not worthy. I'm willing to be that, God, but I believe you have something for us, and we want to trust you for it. You see, God says in this passage, you have the responsibility. You, influenced attendee, you have the responsibility along with me for this sanctuary. And the reason, notice what the reason is, that I may dwell among them, that, you may, that I may host, that we may host the very presence of God in our midst. And then notice what else it says, not just responsibility and reason, but also this idea of revelation. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to reveal it to you, and I'm not going to give you a 10-year plan. I'm going to reveal it a little at a time. The key to the tabernacle, then, is Christ. The key to our sanctuary, the key to us as people are, is Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The tabernacle was in the very center of the camp. The tabernacle was the great gathering center of the presence of God. And Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. The church, like the tabernacle, is a place where the Word of God is preserved. It is the place where the sacrifice is remembered. It is the place of worship. It is the place where salvation is proclaimed to all. Solomon confessed that heaven, the heaven of heavens, cannot contain God. Our universe is ever-expanding, ever-expanding, and yet not even those expanding universes can contain God. Yet he goes on to pray, Lord, that the Lord may hear from heaven from his dwelling place. Jeremiah said, a glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Ezekiel said he saw the heavens opened up in the likeness of a throne and the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And he said, and I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Hebrews 9 tells us that the tabernacle that they were told to build there was a replica of the one in heaven. The blueprint came from heaven. You see, we pray that God opens up heaven. He overwhelms us. We have to pray for 
God to do that in us as individuals. I'll give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. We have to give of ourselves completely and freely to God. What, what are you holding on to? Is it your reputation? Is it success? Is it image? Is it perceptions of what, how God works? What would happen if all of that was just unconditionally surrendered at the throne and you said, Holy Spirit of God, fill me and come in me and powerfully work through me today? We need to submit our will to his will in order to find favor. I can't live my life by my will because that's detrimental to my faith. I remember I was uh, having a conversation with a friend of mine who played football for the Dallas Cowboys, and, and uh, I had just preached a sermon on giving, and we were going to lunch, and I didn't know if he gave or didn't gave, and he looked at me and said, uh, I don't really like that sermon on giving. I go, how come? And he goes, well, I just can't afford to give. And I said, really? I said, well, you seem to do pretty well, John. What's the problem? And he goes, well, I have two country club memberships. And I know, seriously. And he went on to tell me all the stuff he had. And I said, well, I mean, I'm just guessing. Could, could you do with one? Could you do with one? And I lost track, John. He moved down to Houston and... and uh, uh, I was doing some, some doctoral studies. I had some extensions to do down in Houston, and so I stayed with him in his household, and I drove up to his house, and his house was like this giant mansion. I thought, boy, he hadn't got this giving down yet, I guess. He's, he's just getting bigger houses. And so I went in there, and we sat down at the dinner table, and he said, I, got, I want you to know, you remember the lunch we went out to, with, uh, to and, and you talked about giving, and you talked about a one-country club, and you talked about giving the first tenth of your of my income to God, and I said, yeah, John, how's that working for you? You know, I was a little smart aleck, I have to admit. He said, Phil, that day changed my life. I said, what do you mean? He said, within about two months, I started to take the challenge of God. He said, and now I'm giving 40% of my income to God. And he said, and I still have more money than I know what to do with. He said, make me a promise. He said, whenever you have an opportunity that works, tell people, you never lose by trusting God. You never lose by trusting God. Ask God to reveal what's most important. What's really most important to you? You know, I, I know as a parent, our list comes, you know, at the top of the list always comes health and our kids and their happiness and their future and all that. What if the number one thing on your list was that you lived your life in such a way that your children knew that they could depend on your faith and your prayers? More than the economics, more than anything else. When I was having that last minute with my daughter before I walked her down the aisle two weeks ago, we're sitting there, and, and we're just talking about things, and she looked over at me, and she's such a little organizer, and she said, Dad, before we talk, we have to get up. All the signs have to be turned the right way on every table. I thought, I just love this about Jen. We went over and got all the little signs right way, and we came back over. And I said, uh, Jen, this is a very special moment. 
And I didn't know it would be this special. I really didn't know what it would be like. I said, Jen, this is kind of like the Father walking the church down to Jesus. And I feel really honored. And I never really could relate to that until this moment. And this is what she said. She said, Dad, you know the thing that I love about you most? You have always trusted God. What more can you ask? And I'm going to challenge you. I want you to trust God with everything you have. Because when you do, God's glory comes down in your life. And you will see and understand the fullness of God in a way that will be reflected in your life to everyone and everything you do. Let's pray together. Father, as we pray and as we prepare our hearts, God, to engage in worship yet one more time here before we leave, God, I pray that this message is somehow from your spirit and and your spirit has, has created a catalyst for us to worship you and to draw close unto you in a way, God, that maybe we weren't when we came in here. God, that it inspires us to, to be generous with, with our life and generous with our time and generous with our resources, God. That reminds us what's really important and that we have to have an unconditional surrender. God, I, I just unconditionally surrender to you right now. And I ask each person in this room to consider that as well. Father, you've put, brought us together for a reason. It's not accidental, God, who's here. It's not accidental what's happening, God. It is by your hand. And God, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I can only take with what you show me today. Right now, I think you're showing each one of us that if we would just be more committed to you, if we would give ourselves to you, that we could find more and more of your favor. So we just invite your presence into this place. We invite you to call on the name of the Lord. If you don't know him, call on him and be saved. And the way salvation works is like this. If you call on his name and you invite Jesus to save you, pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I, I ask you to save me now and come into my heart. Give me the gift of eternal life. It may be that you need to be healed. And would you call on him now? Would you call on him for that need that you have? the healing of a relationship, the healing of a, uh, maybe a heart or a shoulder, whatever that might be, would you call on him? Maybe the healing of just being embarrassed about God and not talking about him enough. Would you give that to him? Let's stand together and let's just worship him in spirit and in truth.